This is the Affirm America podcast, where we stand up and speak out affirming American excellence. Coming to you deep in the heart of the Midwest, located in an undisclosed log cabin on the outskirts of town, your host, Marquis Vandemark. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Affirm America podcast. I'm your host, Marquis Vandemark, coming to you from deep within the heart of the Midwest, where the children are above average. People love their country, they love freedom, they love the outdoors, and we're glad that you're here with us today. Got a good uh, episode for you this morning. The weather here in the Midwest, we're going to be up around 75 today, blue skies. Spring is here. It's going back and forth. It was snowing over the weekend. But uh, today is very nice. I'm looking out the window, and it's a blue sky, and it's going to get warm today. Try to get out and do some walking a little later this afternoon. If you haven't uh, subscribed to the podcast yet, you can go to AffirmAmerica.com. Put in your email address there. We'll notify you when a new episode comes out. If you'd like to reach me by email, you can go to Marcus. Marquise at AffirmAmerica.com. It's M-A-R-Q-U-I-S at AffirmAmerica.com. All right, we have a returning guest with us today. Pat Hickey's joined us. Let me tell you a little bit about Pat, what he has done in the past. Pat served a, a total of eight years in the Nevada Assembly from 1996 through 98 and 2010 through 2016, he was the uh, minority leader for the 2013 legislative session and was slated to be the speaker of the assembly in 2015 when Republicans took over. But due to a division between conservatives and moderates, of which he was considered one, he did not become the speaker. Pat did serve on the Ways and Means Committee and chaired the Higher Education K-12 Funding Committee. Pat was an original sponsor of enabling public charter school legislation in Nevada in 1997. After his service in the legislature, Republican Governor Brian Sandoval appointed him to the State Board of Education. Pat joins us today. And welcome, Pat. How you doing? Good morning, uh, Marcus. Uh, nice to be with you in an early spring morning in the Truckee Meadows near downtown Reno, the biggest little city in the world, and near Lake Tahoe, the prettiest site in the Western world. Absolutely. As you know, I grew up in Reno, Nevada. My father was stationed in the Air Force up there at Stead Air Force Base. And I've got a lot of fond memories of uh, Reno, my childhood. Spent there hunting in the mountains, mountain lion hunting and fishing and all the good things that you can do in that great silver state out there in Nevada. Indeed. So the uh, you'd mentioned here, Pat, that um, you're considered a moderate in the uh, political realm. I got a question for you. So... What, what does it mean to be a moderate? I mean, it seems like we have to be fighters against what's happening with the far left side of the Democratic Party. What's, what, what exactly does it mean to be a moderate? Tell me what that means. Well, you know, th- thanks, Marcus. Uh, let's talk about that. Um, that wasn't a title that I gave myself. Um, and, you know, in politics, it, it, it's somewhat all relative. Um, I, I was once at a, a lunch with, the, at the time, my counterpart in the Democrat Party, who was the majority leader, while I was the minority leader. And I was explaining uh, how in our caucus, there was quite a strong division between, uh, I'll say, traditional Republicans and, um, and more conservative-leaning Tea Party folks and others. 
and that how I was considered a quote unquote moderate. And she literally uh, spit the soup out of her mouth because that certainly wasn't how she saw me. But uh, labels being what they are, and, and of course I was called, and I, I'm, I'm just guessing, but I'd be willing to bet, Marcus, on this show and in and, and your dealings, you've identified certain Republicans as rhinos or uh, Republicans in name only. And that also was a term that was uh, ascribed to me. And again, as you mentioned, I... I uh, I helped engineer the, the uh, election takeover for Republicans in 2014 when, when we got clear majorities, uh, but wasn't um, awarded the speakership, which was just fine for me. Um, uh, you, you should know, though, be, but because of that division that, that took place within the, the Republican Party in, in the Nevada legislature at that time, uh, we didn't end up with a conservative speaker. We ended up with kind of a, uh, um, a someone who was quite incapable but in, and became somewhat of a straw man. Um, and one of the reasons to um, oppose my speakership at the time, not to get into great detail, was the fact that I was too close to the Republican governor, uh, who was named Brian Sandoval at the time, who was thought to be, again, uh, more of a, a, a centrist, if you will. But at the time, he enjoyed 75% uh, popularity in the polls in Nevada. So we ended up not really helping ourselves that much by um, being controlled by one of the factions. But let me just mention a little bit that you know, the, the same thing that happened in the Republican Party is, is currently going on in the Democrat Party. And, and in fact, I've heard the label thrown around at, uh, at, at certain more moderate Democrats from the AOL crowd and, and others in the progressive left that you've identified and, and saying, well, they're dinos or Democrats uh, in name only. So, so they're experiencing some of the same divisions that the Republican Party has and I would make the case, and we can talk more about it, that's why you are seeing in states like Nevada, and, and I think in Ohio, and certainly Colorado, and a bunch of others, that more and more people are disassociating with either of the major parties and are increasingly becoming nonpartisans or independents like I became in the last couple of years. So you, uh, you align yourself as, a, as an independent uh, rather I than... have. I, I re-registered in 2018. Now, I, I still consider myself center-right, and, and I vote accordingly, which means I probably will be voting for Republicans m most of the time. But um, again, I join a growing number of people. I mean, in Nevada, for the first time in, in our history, uh, non-major party voters uh, actually uh, are greater than uh, either Democrat or Republicans in uh, Nevada. And, and, and in a certain sense, that, that's kind of true in Ohio as well. We can talk more about some of your numbers, but it's a growing phenomena and something I, I think we need to take note of going forward. Well, that's interesting. So, um, so there's more of a majority, are you saying, that are that are not registered on either side of the parties in, in the state of Nevada? Yes, yes. And 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 in numerous states. Yes. So so there it's about thirty-five percent Democrat, about thirty-three percent Republican, and then you add it up thirty-eight or thirty-nine percent nonpartisan or independent. Some of those fall into smaller parties like the American Independent Party, which is quite conservative or the Libertarian or an occasional Green Party or whatever, you know, thrown in for good measure. But um, that is increasingly the case. In Nevada, we have uh, automatic voter registration with the DMV when uh, uh, disgruntled Californians uh, leave the, the Golden State and come over to Nevada for lower taxes and 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 many other reasons. Uh, housing prices that they used to be able to afford were having the same problems. And uh, they're given the option to, when they uh, get their new driver's license, to either sign up as an R or a D or a nonpartisan. And overwhelmingly, 
uh, they're signing up as nonpartisans. And, and I think that what that says to both parties is people are getting a little sick of the divisions and the hyper-partisanship of both parties. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask you is that it seems like uh, the parties are much more divided, more polarized than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Uh, and it seems to be getting worse. But yet, at the same time, uh, there are issues that um, contrast each other. They're not, you know, they're, I mean, how do you stand in the middle without, without giving up your principles? Uh, that, that's, uh, that's a big challenge for uh, elected persons or, or for anyone. But um, I, 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 would, I would explain it this way. And it has a lot to do with um, the way districts get drawn, the way voters are selected by politicians in the redistricting or as it sometimes are referred to and it applies when things are gerrymandered so as you know every 10 years and this is goes back to the time of george washington and the founders uh that they had to readjust the the congressional lines because of the growth in the country so every 10 years we have a national census and then congressional and local or statewide legislative uh lines are redrawn but they're almost always uh redrawn by the political party that is in power at the time so in the case of nevada where uh in 2020 uh democrats captured the governor's uh, seat as, as well as majorities in both legislatures they were able to pass a redistricting uh, piece of legislation uh, with just a simple majority that very much favored um, uh, Democrats. For, for example, in my own district in, in Old South Reno, which had, had been historically a Republican district that I represented and a lot of Republicans before and some since I was there, is now uh, been gerrymandered, if you will, or rearranged to have a majority of Democrats in the district because they could redraw the lines. So, so that that creates a problem. Well, that doesn't um, seem fair. That doesn't seem fair that the the party that's in power has the. Why can't that be something more uh, nonpartisan or? non-biased in well in it that. can now now some states like i think arizona was the first to do it they have a non-partisan or bipartisan uh election commission that is charged with redrawing the lines and so they divide uh the persons appointed to that commission uh between both major parties and put independence on there as well now you could argue you can never take politics completely out of it because even those persons are appointments. But if, if you have a commission that's nonpartisan and not controlled by politicians themselves, because believe me, both parties do it. Uh, sure. that, that's why, you know, I sent you the op-ed that, that I, or my Sunday column where I, you know, I said, you know, the, uh, the, the Fox is now guarding the hen house. And what happens is, you know, the average voter thinks, you or I, when you go to vote in uh, Ohio or me in Carson City or Reno in Nevada, we think, well, we're the ones selecting the politicians. But when you have politicians sitting ones redrawing the lines, they, in fact, are picking their own voters. And they typically do ones to maintain the majority for their party. And you also make deals between both parties to protect incumbents. Yeah, well, everybody wants to win, right? I mean, that's the whole... Uh... I mean, you don't want to lose, but you don't want to also put your thumb on the scale. That's right. So, so that that is that is a real problem. Now, one of the solutions. So, here's an example, um, and and I'm I'm going to talk about Ohio, where you're from, but you have semi-open primaries. But recently in Colorado, they went to open primaries, and that means that voters there can vote not just for the party that they're a member of, but they can vote openly. The, the, the reason why that's so important is because it's frequently then in 
primary elections that candidates are selected. And again, if you live in a very Democrat district or a very Republican district, probably the figure that wins that primary is going to win the general election. So one of the way, one of the things about these open primaries in some states, they've changed it to rank voting, which means the two top vote getters in an open primary move to the general election. So that might mean, say you're in a very Democrat district and a, and a Republican doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of getting elected right. in the general election, but you have two Democrats and you have then Republicans with the opportunity to possibly vote for uh, the more reasonable Democrat as opposed to the AOL, uh, AOL disciple or Nancy Pelosi or somebody like yeah. that. And so you end up possibly with a more moderate. Um, and, you know, he, here's an example. I mean, you talked about the division. I mean, Abraham Lincoln warned against the division as as Christ did 2000 years ago. A house divided is going to crumble. Right. And you know, look at Ukraine. And it's kind of an extreme example. But they've been very divided, I, I guess, in their in their recent history and politics. But obviously, uh, Russia's invasion has united them. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to see America united because we're being invaded or crumbling. None of us do. But there's a there's a lesson there that when you put the higher good of the country ahead of your own partisanship, then you're able to unite. And, and in the case of your Ukraine, stand strong uh, against the destruction of their country. I also heard uh, Zelensky um, actually closed out all of the opposition parties. I don't know if you heard heard about that, but he opposed them. He shut them down during yeah, I, maybe I, during uh, the war. I, maybe I don't know if that was. Uh... I, I, yeah, who knows? I, I saw that reported. I, I, I didn't read it. So I I don't know why he did that. I, I, I guess, you know, drastic measures take place during war. But and, and you know, I don't know that he's the, the, the perfect leader. But he, he's certainly been a good wartime leader, uh, by all accounts, for that. But it, but it's an example of uh, freedom of speech, yeah. right? And uh, yeah. yeah, and not yeah. Uh, you know the people in power censoring sure. censoring uh, opposing sure. voices. Yeah, it, it it happens. But you know, just to finish the thing about primaries and all that. So I, I looked at some of the, your numbers in Ohio. <clears throat> so in 2020, you had eight million roughly registered voters in the state. Uh, Republicans have an advantage, and, and that certainly helped Republicans in, in presidential years. As you know, they, they had 1.9 million voters in the GOP, 1.6 in the Democrats. But there were 4.5 million people who were unaffiliated. And you have a kind of semi-open primary. So that means people can decide, OK, I want a Republican ballot uh, in my primary. I want a Democrat one. But, you know, the, the bigger case is... Why, if there are more independent or nonpartisan voters in your state, why are they in, in some ways disenfranchised from voting for an organization that is a private organization? You know, political parties are not in the U.S. Constitution. Uh, voter rights was, and, and some will remember George Washington's farewell address as, as our first president really warning against uh political parties. So I'm not saying they're in and of themselves bad and it's good to have differences, but uh, what are we going to do with the people that are increasingly not identifying with either? And I think uh, I think it's going to make a big difference uh, in elections. I mean, Trump, I think, won the 2016 election because of uh, independent voters. I think he lost in 2020 because of independent voters. And certainly, I think the next president is going to be decided by those folks. So is this a uh, is this a call for a, a third party? Is that um, well, is that, that uh, the solution that, that's to problematic it, in the way the system is right now? But I, I, I think in the future, if this trend continues, there's certainly more of a possibility than there was with Ross Perot or John Anderson or other examples. Even Teddy Roosevelt ran right of the Bull Moose Party as an independent and wasn't successful. So that hasn't worked very well with the two party system the way that it is. But again, people are kind of voting with their feet, their feet. 
with respect to the parties. A lot of Republicans are leaving their party because they think it's too extreme. A lot of Democrats are leaving their party because they think it is. So it's not really an easy solution then. I know they've tried third parties before and haven't really been able to accomplish it. I mean, there's a lot of money on both sides too, right, to to have special interests and and maybe don't want to uh, give up that that position because there may be some advantages. Well, even in the media, you know, which we all can rail on, I mean, you know, the the media loves the, the horse race. They, they, they love the two parties fighting sure. against each other. And, uh, you know, it, it makes for better ratings. So all of that, uh, all of that plays a role. But I, I think over time, we're going to see some some changes just because of the, the changing uh, demographics voter wise in the country. Younger people, you know, which you and I are not a, a member of that generation, are increasingly dissatisfied. Um Three of my four children are now nonpartisan. One remains a, a pretty strong conservative Republican. Uh, but th- I think you're seeing that more and more with um, younger Americans. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just uh, complacency, not, you know, maybe not even voting, not, not paying attention to the issues just because it, you know, it's not very attractive for a lot of the young people today. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, at the same time, look at, uh, you know, I, I know as a conservative, you and a lot of conservatives and a lot of Americans were very, very disturbed by what happened in the last couple of years with with respect to criminal justice, the whole woke culture and cancel culture and, and all of those things that really have, have pushed things quite far to the left. But I think you're seeing uh, even uh, Joe Biden kicking and screaming a move more back to the center, whether it's funding of uh, criminal justice or funding for the military or even I I think he's going to have to relax his position on on green energy and and let America produce, uh, you know, its own energy for the sake of, of freedom and and fighting inflation, all those things. So, you know, I think we always kind of move back to the middle. And the the problem is, you know, when Republicans are successful and take over, as we did in 2014, we took over everything, and then we lost everything the next time. So the pendulum just keeps going back and forth, oftentimes with extremes. And in the end, we, uh, you know, we, we suffer because a lot of things get done when, when things aren't so extreme, in my experience. I know that's, you know, kind of disappointing to some people who are strident on, on one side or the other. But in reality, in politics, it's when you have more of a centrist uh, government that more things get done. Yeah, well, we had a really good economy, you know, during the Trump administration. We had energy independence. We had a lot of things going for us, lower taxes, and then once the Biden administration took over, they knocked almost all of it out. And here we are in a position where, you know, we have uh, inflation out of hand. We have energy prices going through the roof. I mean, it's it's a wide swing. It's an extreme swing from the left to the right, it seems. You're absolutely right. And I will tell you, I mean, I'm someone that voted for Donald Trump two times. OK, even though I was a nonpartisan. Um, but. This is my opinion. I, I know some, maybe many in your listening audience won't agree, but I really think that that Trump, Trump lost uh, the 2020 election, not because it was simply stolen, although I'll agree Democrats being in power, quote unquote, rigged a lot of things in states somewhat legally, but I think somewhat unfairly uh, in their favor with uh you know, mail-in voting and all those things, which well, I not only not only the Democrats, but yeah. you had uh, Zuckerberg with his four hundred million dollars of uh, influence. Absolutely, absolutely. The the, the big tech and and big media, big tech, and all uh, those censorship on social media. Yeah. Again, not to get into to former President Trump, but I I do think, and I know a number of conservatives that that share this view that he made a lot of mistakes, and and a lot of it just frankly, had to do 
with uh, his personality and, and with his leadership style. And, well, he's and, a businessman, you know, right? New York businessman. Yeah. First yeah, time, and, first time, uh, you know, running for a political office. Oh, I know. And, and I mean, the, look at the guy in Ukraine was a, uh, comedian well-educated lawyer yeah. but he was a comedian and a sitcom star so you know i mean trump has kind of thrown uh you know change to the wind i mean we we may elect very different kinds of people in the future and that's not necessarily a bad thing right i mean some of the politicians uh you know haven't done all that great of a job in the past some are really good but some have really um you know made a mess like we're kind of in right now which uh Still playing out, I think, where we're going to end up here after the next uh, yeah. three years. Yeah. In fact, yeah. what I wanted to talk a little bit about that is, you know, with with uh, with what's going on with the current affairs with the president and the fact that it seems more and more like he is has some serious health issues. Uh, Pat, uh, he may be a firm, maybe on the verge of dementia, and the you know the backup, the second string, is not all that more qualified what 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 uh what kind of a mechanism do we have in the event that he is removed health concerns and the vice president has no skills is there any any way that maybe the house or the senate could run this country uh you know i mean there's a lot of concern out there that we're we're in a situation we've never been been involved in before have you thought about that well, not, not deeply, and I, I certainly am not a constitutional expert. Um, obviously, if the president is removed or incapacitated, the vice president takes over. I would share your serious reservations about the capabilities of the number two person in the White House. No um, and, and so that could create a real challenge. My guess is uh, somehow... Uh, President Biden will will make it to the finish line, <laughs> maybe somewhat. I'm not, I'm not so sure somewhat after the last weekend what there. what happened. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I I can identify a little bit with him. I'm uh, I'll be 72 this year. I, I I mean, when you're under pressure, and, and what is he 78, 79, I think 79 now? I think now, yeah. And and oh, by the way, Donald Trump ain't no spring chicken either. Uh, I, you know, I I wrote. A, a column recently and and uh, you know i'm kind of inspired by younger leadership I, oh yeah I, no I, question i i hope there is and Zelensky again you know proves as an example but uh, i i would rather we not be electing people in their late 70s and 80s uh and i'd like to see a bunch of them including uh, putin and uh, the guy in china go enjoy their uh, their dacas or whatever and, and and hope for a new generation but I, I agree. I, I you know, uh, President Biden worries me a, a lot, I think, because of uh, the encroaching problems with age that seem pretty evident to a lot of people. Well, and, and also the leaders around the world seem to be they see an opportunity to where, you know, a weak president uh, can lead to some very serious. I, I, uh, I, think, I think that's I think that's very true. And and uh, uh, and, you know. And, and he goes off the cuff and says things. Uh, the that, White House has to walk it back it, a number of times this week. A number of times. And that's that's in a sense, that's Joe Biden. But that's it's a real uh, it, it's a real problem. It's a real problem. I, I, I get that. Yeah. So uh, the two party system, then let's um, you'd mentioned the demise of the two party system in when we were when we were talking so uh... well yeah yeah I, I i do think i think going forward i mean and the numbers tell the story uh here in nevada that that more people identify uh as a nonpartisan or an independent or whatever than than with either of the two parties you know, th there's going to be legal challenges to all that, especially in primaries where we don't have open primaries. So that mean, means in Nevada, you can't vote um, if you're not a registered Republican or registered Democrat. You can't vote in the, the primary except for nonpartisan races. And in a sense, someone else is is deciding who are in the minority 
who are going to be your elected leaders. And so I, I think over time, we're, we're going to have to open up the process more. And, and I think by doing it, we'll get more reasonable, less extreme candidates. And in other words, say, say um, in AOL's district in Queens, and I, I, I guess it's fairly liberal and she gets renominated, but suppose they had it, and, and Republicans probably don't have much of a chance there anywhere in new but york suppose, yeah yeah in new york in queens new york wherever she represents i think our, our good friend frank kaufman's in her district but i doubt he's his vote is going to kick her out of office no but um but the entire state is that way too right pat i mean it's well, it's pretty it's much up, a, upstate, it's fairly certainly the city is i think upstate new york traditionally i think it's been represented being a more rural part of the state and buffalo as well by republicans more often than not but Suppose in Queens, uh, Republicans could vote in the primary for a Democrat that was more moderate than her, was more reasonable, was not so extreme, was not so socialist. Then you could have Republicans voting for that person along with more moderate Democrats and you might get a better result there. But the way, again, the system is right now, Republicans get to pick their candidate, and Democrats theirs. But again, with political redistricting and gerrymandering, almost always a Republican or a Democrat wins in a particular district, and there's not a whole hell of a lot of choice for people. So let's talk about that. So uh, a, there, the different types of primaries. So there's... Uh... There's open primaries, there's closed primaries, there's semi-closed primaries, top two primaries. So in New York, that means that people, they have the options of either registering as a Republican or a Democrat. They have no choice on who they can actually vote for. Explain that a little bit about that well, process. They, they, they have a choice in, in the November general election. So at that time... Whatever but it's already been, party. yeah. But it's already been solved, right? So if it's somebody well, that's, that's right, I mean, that's, uh, again, you you have you have certainly the freedom in the November election when it comes up in your area to vote. But again, if your congressional person or your state legislator uh, comes from a very R or D district, there's little chance that if you're in the minority uh, in that that your your candidate has much of a chance now again if it was an open primary and say individuals could vote either on the republican side or the democrat side or for whatever if you have that ranked voting where the top two which is more complicated that's going to take a long time to i think work its way out for people to wrap their brains around that but and and, and there's of course there's some room for shenanigans i mean i remember years ago rush limbaugh was encouraging people to vote for hillary uh you know right. register as a democrat and vote for hillary in a primary because they thought she would be a, a much more vulnerable candidate than for republicans than uh, barack obama was and of course he was right in that regard so sometimes that kind of thing can happen but i, I studies show that that it doesn't happen in a large enough scale it, it's going to tilt an election for the most part but I, again more and more I think especially this generation of young people, they're looking for leadership. They're looking for qualities. And we may disagree with some of the values and qualities they might look for, but they're not looking to party labels to necessarily uh, tell them uh, who they want to vote for. Was it, isn't there still a disadvantage, though, even, even if uh, it was open? I mean, there's so much money that pours into these candidates that even somebody that's, you know, uh, an alternative, but, you know, maybe just doesn't have enough, you know, backing with the, with the two-party system and the money that well, flows Well, you're in. right. I mean, money is, it, you know, the, the moneyed interest, and I know more than a little bit about it. As, as a legislative leader, I had to raise lots of money, not just for myself, but for candidates in my party. I, I, I understand you're right. And, and moneyed or special interests, uh, uh, you know, do give uh, to, to they put their money on 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 candidates they hope will be winners. But if if you're in a primary and, and 
you know, let me put this way. In a general election, if I'm the Republican nominee in a district where, say, there's only a few point advantage uh, for my party over the Democrat, then I've got to win some of those Democrats probably to vote for me, which means I have to be I have to be a little more inclusive in the way I campaign. So so say there's a primary which you need the independent voter. So sorry, I kind of messed up there. So you go back to the general election and you have 30% Republicans, 30% Democrats, and 30% nonpartisans, roughly. That means as for me to get 50.1% as a Republican candidate, I've got to win most 20%. of my 30. Yeah. I've got yeah, I've got and I gotta get 20% from either the nonpartisans or the the blue dog Democrats or, or or ones who are mad at their party or whatever. Uh, so it means I have I have to be a better candidate to actually appeal to a broader base than just the narrow constituency of the more extreme people in my party, whether it be on the far right or the far left. So I think if you have open primaries, because, you know, general election voters have to appeal to to nonpartisans in the general election, why not make them have to win them in the primary elections as well? And I think we end up getting uh, more acceptable candidates that are, and again, you know, I know middle of the road is not very pleasing to, to principled people. Uh, one guy from Texas said the only thing in the middle of the road are yellow lines and dead armadillos. Yeah. I, I get that. Right. So what, where, the, where do those people in the middle fit, though? Do they fit? I mean, are they, I mean, you, I guess you'd have to dig into what their thoughts are and what their likes are. Well, that, that's a great question, Marcus. And there's been studies in the past. It's been thought they've been called kind of closet partisans or leaners. So, yeah, for whatever reason, I'm sick of robocalls. So I cancel my Republican membership so I don't get calls. But I'm still leaning right. I'm still voting Republican or people on the same on the other side. But the, the recent studies show that there's less kind of closet partisans or leaners and more and more people that just genuinely are fed up with politics and political parties and don't want to vote for the person. Now, I think their values, like I said, I mean, I'm still center right and, and I probably will and I do vote for more Republicans than I would for for a Democrat. But it would depend on who the Democrat is. And, and I, you know, I, again, I have some opportunity to to go either way in that regard. Are there still some uh, moderate Democrats out there? Uh, there there are. Uh, How about in Nevada? Are, or do you, do you, do you well, see them? In Nevada. I mean, the funny thing was I was elected in the 90s the first time. The the parties at that time, Republican Democrats at that time were more moderate and Republicans uh, were as well. So there, there wasn't there wasn't great differences. You, you and I both remember uh, the days when when we were part of an anti-communist movement uh, that taught state lawmakers and congressional candidates and others about the dangers of Marxism, the CAUSA uh, lectures in the American leadership conferences sure. in Nevada at that time, the bulk of the leadership uh, on the invitation committee uh, of, for those anti-communist conferences were Democrats in Nevada. Uh, a majority of members who attended and, and uh, uh, things were, were Republicans at that time. Now, a, a lot has changed. That was a few years ago, too. That was a few years ago. But What's I'm, it look I, like I, today? Uh, today, um, both parties are pretty divided. Pretty divided, between, right? Uh, moderates and progressives and moderates and conservatives. So is, are we seeing uh, just a real swing to the extremes on both sides of the party? It seems like the, maybe the polarization is pushing them on the far ends. Are we seeing more of that? Or is it um, people are just exiting and uh, going into the middle? Well, I, I, I think 2020 certainly saw that to uh, a large degree. And it resulted in, you know, Republicans losing, well, they were already, I guess, 
didn't have the House, but they lost the Senate control. Uh, I think most Americans appreciate when there's divided government. I'll tell you that is the case in Nevada. I think the Democrat governor in Nevada uh, may well lose because, again, Democrats have been in control of of all of government with the both houses and and then the governor's office. And a lot of people think that, you know, it's not good when one party's in control. Uh, It's better to have a more divided one because then you have to, that dreaded word for principled folks, uh, more compromise takes place. But I mean, I was, I've been interested during the Ukraine war. I've seen a lot of Democrats on both Fox and I've seen, Uh, A lot of Republicans on CNN, you know, both kind of taking a a very similar position with regard to Ukraine. So, you know, a lot of times we're not we're not as different uh, as you might think. And, you know, I write a column uh, called Memo from the Middle. And uh, while a lot of Republicans don't like me, I get a lot of notes from Democrats who say, to me in you know emails and sometimes letters to the editor i'm not as radical as you think and i agree with your views which you know most people think are are still kind of center right or certainly more to the right than they are to the left even even in a column called memo from the middle that's just me but i think a lot of people a lot of democrats agree with positions that i take so are you out of politics now for good pat or yeah. Yeah. No, I'm 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 a recovering uh, uh, politician. The twelve step uh, program has has made me far more honorable than I once was. So uh... <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm done. <laughs> I'm I'm done. Definitely. <laughs> well, well. So what? Tell, tell us. Tell somebody that maybe he's never run for office or doesn't know what it's like to be in, in you know in those seats. What what uh, what is it about? I mean. Uh, some people are, I mean, Joe Biden's been in there since he was in his 20s. He's a lifer. Yeah. But yourself, um, what is it, rough and tumble? I mean. Well, it is. Did, I mean, it was very rewarding. And I did it in two different eras. I did it in two different decades and, in fact, two different centuries. So I've kind of seen it from a different point of view. Um, I, I would advise people, start small. I mean, I meet a lot of people that, you know, get really righteous and, and, and fired up and decide they're going to run for Congress or the U.S. President. Senate yeah. or president. And uh, it just ain't happening. So, well, now, you know, Donald Trump, you know, he's, he's the exception. Well, that, right? yeah, but it helped being a billionaire and being on TV and uh, well, name recognition. And that's always good for politics. And, and Americans looking for a change. They wanted Absolutely. someone who was non-traditional. Yeah. And a lot of Democrats voted for Trump the first time because they were sick of the same old, same old with Hillary Clinton. And uh, but so I. It, it, it's definitely worthwhile. I mean, especially you can start in school boards or city council or or a state legislature. You know, in Nevada, we have a citizen legislature, so-called. It's a part-time job, part-time pay. Uh, and so people don't uh, don't serve because they're going to make a, a bunch of money for themselves because they don't. So it, it was very rewarding in that sense. But, um, you know, I really enjoyed when I didn't become speaker and I wasn't in leadership, I got more done that session. I passed like 10 bills, some that were very important to members in my local district. Like we passed a winery bill, which Northern Nevada really appreciated because a lot of people wanted to start vineyards and, and create wineries and, and have that entrepreneurial freedom to do so. I would have never gotten things like that done if I was still fooling around leadership and playing footsie with, you know, Paul, you know, the chief lobbyists and all that. So uh, I would encourage people to, to get involved and, and try to get elected, but start small, be reasonable and work hard. People will still vote for the person. And I won the first time in a Democratic district. And one, I think the Democrats had an 8% advantage and I won by 5% because I outworked my Democrat opponent and people got to know me 
because I walk door to door and, you know, the kind of things you can do in local races. So just, uh, just out working them, is that enough or what did you, well, did no, you have to come to, no. uh, how did you find the, um, that balance from your own views as a Republican and the Democrats? What were some general issues that, uh, they could uh, connect with is is it did you have to find out what their hot issues were to well you find that out if if you're a local candidate and you for example go door to door uh in a neighborhood you you will find out a lot about how people think and and you'll resonate with people in a way people like to know their politicians and, and that's why some we may disagree with are successful because they are well-known and they're well-liked regardless of their position. So that's not all of it. But people don't just vote because of a party or a, a, a political platform. They, they vote for the, the person in, in many cases. But, you know, for example, so when I ran again in 2010, and it was a very crowded Republican primary, it was a very Republican district until the Democrats just changed this. Now it's become a Democrat district, which I think is very unjust to. to was that, that ger- gerrymandering? Is that, is that what it the was? Is? Oh, very much so. And there's court cases, but they're not going to prevail because courts, you know, I mean, legislators get to draw the lines and, and judges w- with some judicial constraint don't easily change those things, even when it's done in a very politicized gerrymandered type fashion but i was in a very crowded primary with one guy who had a lot of money and had the downtown chamber of commerce type support I had another guy who was a, a conservative activist someone i've become a, a very good friend with who uh had 40 college republicans walking for him every weekend because he was a lawyer and he he served their needs and for young republicans and college republicans i had a tea party guy i had myself it was a very crowded primary and uh but i outwalked them and i outworked them and i and i tackled the issues i did a big immigration issue which was a big issue mm. then in 2010 arizona had just passed uh an e-verify law and i supported that and i did a big immigration town hall and the thing though i did was i invited both sides i invited the 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 radical side in fact the guy who was on the panel was outside protesting the event (laughs) and i had to come and say hey uh bob by the way you're on the program man come inside you got you, you know and but i think people appreciated that that i dealt with both sides and i ended up winning the primary two to one over all my other opponents some again one who was very conservative and prominent and one who had a lot of money but i uh, i beat them two to one so there you go just work yeah, hard so it and, can be uh, done it yeah, can be done can be done yeah. well patrick it's uh um, it was nice having you on today before we close out just one other uh topic here because i know people are interested in what what's your thoughts on uh uh, the voter integrity issue right now that we see going around, everybody's talking yeah, about. Yeah. Well, um, look, voter integrity is very important. And if we are, if we get to the point, or for some, if we're at the point where we don't trust the integrity of the voting system, then we're in for real problems in this country. And I will tell you in Nevada, uh, Democrats and and they did it on the heels of the pandemic and it was convenient to do it and maybe in the primaries even necessary where they instituted um, mail-in voting and then decided uh, even when it could be safe otherwise with mass or whatever that they would extend it to the general election and again because they had the power they've done it to the next election. Uh, I was very much opposed to that and ballast ballot harvesting and all those things that can go on. But I have to say they did it, quote unquote, legally. They may have rigged it in in what they perceived was their favor, but they did do it legally. And I will just say this, in the case of voter fraud in Nevada, we have a very conservative secretary of state. She was the only Republican that survived in the last election cycle. And she was against all those things, but she could not 
find evidence of what Trump's lawyers and other members of the GOP alleged in terms of stolen votes and voter fraud in Nevada. And I just frankly think, and I was out on, on election day, I think Donald Trump in Nevada lost moderates, he lost independents, he lost young people, and I think he legitimately lost the election. Uh, his people thought otherwise. I'm worried about it, and I, I don't, it's got to be legitimate, but, um, and I want states to be able to decide. So, because uh, if you have federal, the federal government deciding voter principles and things, then then we can have real problems as well. So it, it's, it's a concern. I don't want elections stolen. I don't think anyone was. In the case of Nevada, even though Trump lost as, uh, Romney had lost previously and McCain had lost before that. I really do think Trump lost Nevada. He didn't agree. And this is my own personal point of view. The fact that he said six months prior to the election, the election was going to be stolen from him. And then he, of course, maintains that. I think some of that's on him. And I think a lot of people believed him. And I do think there are instances of voter fraud. Uh, that, that no doubt happened in some places. I'm, I'm not disputing it. All I can say is from my own experience, I don't think that's what happened in Nevada. And uh, even though I voted for Trump, he lost it. Do you, do you have uh, voter ID in uh, Nevada? No, and, and that irritates me. I mean, I had a bill when I was in the you know, it's crazy, the, uh, the fact that right? you don't have to show a voter ID when you've got to show an ID for anything any and everything else in this incredible world and you don't have to show your voter ID not I'm absolutely against yeah. that and don't you think it's a little unusual that the Democrats are always opposed to the voter ID I, I do well it's it's because they, why 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 I mean it seems like it's well common because sense. They, they say they, it's voter they, being enfranchised they think but. it gives them an advantage I, I don't believe the civil rights thing say well you're discriminating against a uh, a certain person of a certain economic status that that might not have a uh, an ID baloney everybody has an ID and even if you don't you can find additional alternative ways to verify who we are if, if you're that intent upon voting Absolutely. but of course when you make it possible for everybody to vote uh, through write-in more easily then you open the door to to potentially uh, more funny business and i don't i don't i don't disagree with that at all have you heard about uh Danesse, uh d'souza's uh a video that's coming out here is supposed to be released on in, in april have you have you seen any of the no, uh, premiers on that no no, I've certainly seen his other uh, uh, film documentaries. I'll, I'll look forward to watching it. Yeah, it's called Two Thousand Mules. And uh, uh, no, I, I I look forward to it. You know, he's uh, he does his homework. He's a brilliant guy, and he obviously has a a point of view uh, that uh, you know well, resonates uh, a lot of people, myself included, on a lot of his yeah, positions. He, yeah, he's done yeah. some very good past documentaries, yeah. and I yeah. encourage my uh, my listeners to go to two thousand mules dot com. He got some independent uh, data from uh, another organization where they geo-tracked mm. cell phone usage mm. in mm. in some very highly targeted areas, uh, swing states. And he has documentary with videos of people stuffing the ballots, huge amounts, taking pictures of the stuffing so they can get paid. It's pretty shocking documentary that's coming out here very very shortly. Well, I, I will certainly watch it with interest. You know, we're, um, you know, every civilization uh, ends up having its challenges and, and, and empire. And I, I think we're at that stage right now. We've, we've become, uh, you know, not only complacent, but we've become very divided. And that hurts us as Americans. And, and again, you know, George Washington warned about it. Abraham Lincoln warned about it. Reverend Wright warned about it uh, when he said chickens were coming home to roost. I certainly disagreed vehemently with every position that he had, but we are not in for easy times. Well, what, there's also the uh, the George Soros money coming in on the DAs. Have you been following that, watching that up in Chicago? Yeah. What's What do you think about that? Is yeah, that I, I, 
yeah, and um, and 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 that's our system. Now, you you also, I mean, the left would turn around and say, and I'm no fan of George Soros, so let me say that. But the left would turn around and say, well, look at the money that Sheldon Adelson, uh, may he rest in peace, the uh, the Las Vegas uh, billionaire. Uh, put into Republican races, a- including down on the district attorney level. Sure. So you have people from all sides doing that because the Supreme Court's decided that money is speech or equivalent of speech. And so Soros can spend his money. Adelson can spend his money. Trump could spend his money back in the day when he gave as much money to Democrats as he did to Republicans. So do you think it's a good idea? Should they limit the, the spending or the, the investment? Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think anybody would really object that much right? to it or do like some countries do where you limit the time of campaigns. Korea, they have a, a three month presidential campaign. I, I think also Great Britain's is very mm. short. In I mean, for us, it's just continuous campaign. It's like a billion that, dollars now to run for president, right? I mean, it's, it's oh, I know, it's so, ridiculous. I mean, you know, it's the you know, it's the candidate uh, who's uh, the best candidate that money can buy. I mean, you can't. And and how many people does it really stop from running? That's why you keep getting people that have the 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 the, the wherewithal to legacy, do so. yeah, legacy, uh, yeah, family no, I, empires, you know. Yeah. So I hope we I hope the next president is a younger someone that is not part of this whole. I, uh, frankly, I am not going to vote for Donald Trump if he's the nominee again. Uh, I voted for him two times. Uh, uh, I don't want someone that old. And, and I do think it, to, to me personally, he's disqualified himself by by some of his antics. That's just me. But I think there are a lot of nonpartisans and a lot of moderate Republicans and a lot of young people that won't vote for him again. So I know a lot of Republicans think it was stolen from him and he'd be a better president than Biden. And that I would agree with. But Does anybody stand I, out to you for a young person? That I don't know. I'm still looking. I, I you know, I, I hope someone emerges. You know, there's DeSantis, Rubio. I, I, I don't know. You know, maybe there's somebody that we don't know of. <laughs> Certainly, you know, Trump you know, uh, broke, broke the mold in that regard. For sure. But I will, I will tell you this. The, the Democrats are not going to renominate Joe Biden. They are certainly not going to nominate Kamala Harris. No. And How about Hillary? Trump... Hillary going to oh, sneak back no, in again? No. No. No, no, way. So? no really? way. No way. No way. They're too smart in that sense. They, well, I don't if, know. If they Trump's... they t- they elected Biden. Uh, they wasn't very smart. Well, yeah, but b- because he was the one that could beat Trump because he was perceived and promised to be a moderate, which of course he's been controlled by well, folks media, on the other side yeah. as proved otherwise. Of course, surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, but no, they will nominate if Trump is the nominee. They will they will nominate someone younger. Someone reasonable, Buttigieg. I don't. I don't know. I think he's too young. But he's too. Uh, no, I don't know. That's their business. He's about their youngest. I think the youngest one in their I don't party. Know. Right? Yeah, I know. I know. Well, but they don't have a very opinion. deep bench. That's for sure. No. Uh, there, there, Michelle Obama, I think, was the last name I heard. Well, floated yeah, around here. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's like. It's like Republicans thought when Jeb Bush was running. Can we not do anything other than nominate someone from this same family (laughs) or whether it's Clinton or now it's Obama or is it going to be Trump's son? You know, come on, Americans. We're better than that. There's got to be somebody out there. You would think so, right? You would think so. Part of these these noble political uh, despotic families, you could argue. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Patrick, right. uh, again, uh, appreciate you uh, joining us today on the Firm America podcast and uh, hope that we can uh, bring you back again in the future. Well, I'm sorry if I irritated some of your conservative uh, listeners, but um, I do think we really have to think about this whole party thing and where it's going to be going in the future. There's probably going to be some changes. Yes, and uh, I think that... Uh, keeping the options open 
you know, what's best for the country is really the bottom line here. Anything that we can do to uh, make America more uh, functioning, then I'm all for it. And I'm sure my listeners are also. Well, I, I appreciate what you're doing, Marcus. I love the name of Firm America. I, I absolutely, uh, I'll vote for that every time. Yes, sir. All well, right. Again, thanks, Pat, for coming today. And uh, I'll see you on the uh, ski slope sometime in the spring. Come on up. We'll do some spring skiing. Sounds great. Thanks right. again. God bless you. God bless. Bye-bye. All right. So there you have it. That's our uh, our episode today with uh, Pat Hickey. And uh, Pat's a um, good friend of mine from way back. And I hope that uh, there are some things there that were of interest to you. And uh, hope you enjoyed our episode this week on the Affirm America podcast. Again, if you haven't uh, subscribed, uh, go to AffirmAmerica.com. Give us your email. We'll notify you when a new episode comes out. And if you'd like to reach me by email, it's marcus at affirmamerica.com. Have a great rest of your week. God bless you. And we'll see you next time on the Affirm America podcast. This is the Affirm America podcast with your host, Marquis Vandemark. And let's never forget, America is great and we affirm it.